as I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about my father because even though I never thought of him really as a role model, but that is the foundation, right? The, his belief system is the foundation. Pretty broad. It was a pretty open-minded one. You know, he was a, he was a, I don't know, the story about him was that he, he as, as a conscientious objector when he was 18 or something, he helped, he went to prison for being a conscientious objector crossing wow. the border from Mexico into Texas, ended up in a Pennsylvania prison and uh, they started, they, there were other conscientious objectors there. So people who were not really prison types, mm. he segregated the prison. This is the Casual Temple Podcast and you're listening to episode number five and I'm your host, Marilee Duffy. On the Casual Temple, we will hear from everyday people discussing their magical practices, psychic phenomenon, energy healing, as well as hear about their amazing mystical and paranormal experiences. This week, my guest is Sarah Levitt, who joins the podcast to talk about her spiritual journey and current role as a teacher at Psychic Awakenings, which is a psychic school based here in Seattle, Washington. We also get into discussing her energy healing using the MAP method, which helps people energetically address past traumas. We also get into a little dream interpretation, so stay tuned. All right. Well, thank you for joining us here at Casual Temple. My guest today is Sarah Levitt, who is a psychic intuitive reader, energy healer, artist, and map method coach. Sarah is here to discuss her spiritual journey, her experience as a teacher at a psychic school, angels, her luminary artwork, and explaining the map method and how it can assist people with their inner journey. Thank you for making time uh, to talk with me, Sarah. How are you? You're welcome. Let's just start at the beginning. I'm going to pretend I don't know some stuff about you. So we'll go ahead. Um, so what is, what is your earliest sort of spiritual experience that kind of kicked off where you're at today? Yeah. Um, well, I was raised in a pretty spiritual family. My, my parents were Quakers. So we went to friends meeting every week and uh, we did med- an hour of meditation uh, waiting for the word of God, <laughs> which is really an interesting approach, right? It's experiential Christianity. It wasn't really very much training. It was more like um, there's God, that of God in everyone, and we sit quietly and listen. <laughs> and then if we do hear something, it's okay to stand up and talk about it. So we were our own. It's unmediated Christianity. Uh, but honestly, I didn't hear a thing the whole time. I was a child sitting there quietly in meeting. I always thought there must be something more to this. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's interesting. I know you've talked about your upbringing before, and that's always interesting to me. And was there a time kind of when you were either a child or a teenager where you had sort of something either paranormal or odd that happened that made you go kind of what you just said, like, there's something more to this? I don't, I think I was very spiritually oriented child. It was more, for me, it was more about nature. I was just, you know, running around in woodlands. I was born in the Eastern woodlands and running around chasing little critters, salamanders, turtles, whatever I could find, because that was my thing, was finding cool little animals. It wasn't really until I was in college, I think, that I um, had my first really conscious spiritual or paranormal experience. And that was a dream healing. I was reading this book called Creative Dreaming, very old book with different techniques from different cultures. 
on dreaming. And there's a chapter in there about healing yourself in your dreams. And I was at UC Santa Barbara and I was experiencing really severe hay fever. Just like I could not go outside without being all itchy and full and swelling. And it was not my normal summer. And um, so I decided I would heal myself in my dreams. So I went, I remember I was riding the bus around town that day. And I was, I think I must have put myself in a trance because I, I remember I was just sort of mumbling, I feel myself in my dreams. I just kind of did that all day. And then I, I went to bed and I had this dream about um, bandaging a little puppy, a little white puppy. And when I woke up, uh, I never had hay fever like that again. It's just gone. Even though, I mean, that's pretty dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was surprised, but um, I never thought about that as something like a message or an idea that, oh, I should maybe look into this spiritual healing stuff more. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there might be some, I might have some skill. <laughs> I might have an ability, but I just never, it never occurred to me somehow. Right. Follow up on it. Yeah. I'm wondering about, I know you do some dream interpretation. Uh, I think maybe, I think maybe more for fun <laughs> is kind of how yeah. I remember. Yeah. Well, it's hard to take, get people to take that seriously. Yeah. I don't know because I, I find it an amazing language. Um, I took mm-hmm. a course from Michael Sheridan and, you know, his dream interpretation course is really good. And he kind of opened up this whole world of, oh, the dream language. And it's really the language of metaphor. I think it's the language of the soul. So if you can, it's not that different from seeing visions and translating the pictures and images that we see into um some kind of information right some real message so that was I mean I didn't do that until I was in the clairvoyant program or right before it maybe it got me to go into the clairvoyant program even because there was a dream that he interpreted (laughs) interpreted interpreted and it was something about um uh it kind of pointed out this ability to channel which I had never really thought I I mean, I knew I was experiencing something by then, but I didn't really have it as a gift as much as a problem. Right. Happens on this journey. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But Um, yeah, I had been been, um, writing down my dreams for years. I just hadn't, I don't know that I was interpreting them at all. mm -hmm. It's like, oh, interesting dream. What am I going to do with that? Uh, since you wrote them down, did you ever go back and look at them at all and interpret them? Or you're just like, eh? Uh, well, one thing I learned in his course was that um, they're really about the present. They're giving you information about the present. There are a few dreams that I've remembered that were very um, important dreams. I did not understand what they meant at the time when I dreamt them. Uh, one was like about that spiritual awakening period, and it was very much about an over it was about a disaster it was about um, being overwhelmed by waves by you know like uh, or flooding so and I feel like you know if you have a dream then your house is being flooded or you're on the beach and the waves keep getting higher and, and you have to move out of the way or you're getting washed over then that's probably a dream about spiritual awakening just from my experience interesting right yeah totally cool well thanks for chatting a little bit about dream interpretation i Um, I love 
I love it. It's such a little interesting challenge. Like, what is the language? What is this thing? How is this dream showing this person not only what's going on, interpreting, you know, telling you what's going on, because these are messages from spirit, right? But it usually also includes the solution. Right. Something in there. So I've learned to start looking for the solution so that I'm not just giving bad news. It's <laughs> right. usually good news. Yeah. Always, always about something you can change. Yeah, for sure. Like you gave me a really good insight into a dream I relate to you about. I'll just go talk about it really quick so um, <laughs> the listeners know. So basically, I had my biological father passed away. We didn't have a really great relationship. However, I, and he passed away during 2020 and I had a dream where he, well, <laughs> it wasn't him and it wasn't me, but it was like, it was a father and son figure. And then the son was like in their front yard and, and I was like observing this, but I was also understanding I was the son. Anyway, it was really weird. The um, son had, there was a rowboat and then the son had oars and he had nailed the oars onto the neighbor's house, Right me observing this was getting a lot of anxiety of like, oh man, you just messed up. Why did you do that? You know, I'm like observing this is in the dream. And I, and then the father comes out of the house and, you know, walks up to the son and I'm like, oh man, that father is going to give you some hell for that. Like the neighbor, what is going on? A lot of anxiety. Um, but the father was like, like just looked at the oars on the house and like touched the nail. And then he was like, oh, these are going to come out really easily. They're masonry nails. It's going to be fine. And then I was like, what? but if I remember correctly, you were telling me that, and you can reinterpret it because I'm just kind of relaying it very quickly. But what I remember you telling me was like, oh, it's um, like boats kind of indicate like, again, like a spiritual journey, that kind of thing. And I was like, oh yeah. And then sort of like maybe the other house, I can't remember what the other house would, you can help me if you remember. Well, it all. There's something in the dream that says, oh, but this will come out easily. Like yes. that's the things are going to come out easily. So you kind of listen your way, however you write down, what words you use are the message. Mm, that's so good. They are. I know it's quite interesting how that yeah, works. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I always think about that and it was really cool. So I always appreciate that. Spiritual language, you know, that metaphor mm -hmm. language, it can be very intuitive, but it's also makes some kind of sense. It's almost a little bit literal sometimes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 So you have to kind of jump over your, your ability to rationalize and figure things out to mm. literally saying things are going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Cool. Well, thank you. I did have a question and I know, I think we mentioned this in our, one of our conversations before, but um, I don't know if we ever got into it deep deeply but what do you think the difference is and sorry this is a question I'm kind of throwing at you but I think you can answer it what do you think the difference is between soul and spirit or do you think there is a difference at all well you know that is a kind of a challenging question <laughs> spirit is you know the energy part of ourselves I think that whole like spirit could be a really big picture of you or it could be a small picture I mean I always thought of my spirit as myself my higher self in some way like the guy the healing part of myself and that that part of myself that is guiding me my mm -hmm. spirit right um and the soul is you know that um it's like I mean it's part of the heart right it's like you, the heart of you that comes down into the world that is the soul 
it's always is connected to who you really are. And it might feel like a very small part, you know, what we, we label as a soul is, but it's the, the experiencer, right? The, the one who experiences the, the world, the life here and above probably. So I can't give you an absolute definition of that, but I do think it's an interesting question. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I've been thinking about that lately. So I was curious what you thought. Cool. So I know that you have had, I would say it was like a spiritually transformative experience. I don't know if you want to talk about that and then how your spiritual path progressed from there. Yeah. Well, as I said, I always thought I needed more formal training than the teacher because the Quakers are kind of like, do as we do. <laughs> or there's that of God in everyone. Listen, and you'll figure it out. It was just not a real, I mean, not that what they were doing was bad. It was just a very, you know, Quakers are very practical um, sort of activist. We think we can make the world better kind of people. So there's a very uh, physical part of that, right? An activist kind of like acted out in the world. So I got a lot of that, mm-hmm. right? My father was such an idealist, right? We were being dragged around to peace marches and great boycotts and all the kind of social work, social justice work that he was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So even though I felt a need for more formal training, I didn't really get that until I you know, was in my 20s. Uh, later in my 20s after college, I was kind of hung out at the Theosophical Library for a while reading books. I got to know one of the librarian and ancient librarian there. He was also riding the bus from Capitol Hill to through the U district a lot. So I kept running into him on the bus and kind of struck up a friendship and kept talking about Fintorn and places to go, spiritual ideas that he was experiencing. So it was kind of a fun little uh, connection, right? Because young people don't talk about that really. People my age weren't talking about that anyway. I did, you know, I think that I had a spiritual kind of underpinning to everything in my life. I really was a very spiritual person, maybe because I was raised by these sort of devout people. But um, and maybe as a blessing, that sort of Quaker belief isn't really very um, uh, controlling or, you know, there's not a lot of um, judgment or you know, you should do this or you shouldn't do that involved in it. It's pretty open, right? Oh, if you see God in everyone, that's good, (laughs) right? So I feel like, uh, yeah, I was just sort of floating around. I know my art had a spiritual focus. and In some ways, it was about perception and learning because I didn't really see visions. I didn't really have any, you know, aside from dreams, no paranormal experience that I made connection with really except that one time i mean i had dreams that would predict certain things like before i met someone sometimes i would have a dream it was always like three days oh three days i meet somebody how cool mm-hmm. but i didn't think of it as i don't know you know just when you're a kid you do you just see what you see anyway my art is about perception and learning to see and follow that you know it was about a lot of it was about opening and I think you know probably that was the underlying uh kind of drive in my life because I really was closed down uh spiritually um 
And I think I, I was, I did that out of protection in some way. But um, when I was in my, gosh, 34, I was 34 years old and I had a falling out with someone in my family, which really disturbed, caused a lot of disturbance. It was kind of like my beliefs were shattered at that moment and what a family was supposed to be. Hmm. And I went home and I was also, um, I decided to see a counselor because I was having weird experiences. Like I would go to a doctor's office and I would cry. There was no real reason for it necessarily. I just had this sort of, there was something under there that was not uh, being treated or so. So I went to this counselor and she happened to work with um, Betty Lamont, who's a neurodevelopmental therapist. And she said, I think from your uh, language, the way that you speak, that you could probably use um, some work on your brain. There's some brain thing going on. So she sent me to Betty Lamont and I did, I went there and I did the exercises and got diagnosed and she gave me some ways to start re uh, stimulating the brain, which basically is creeping and crawling and rolling over like a baby. (laughs) Exercises that cause you to kind of stimulate um, your body in a certain way that stimulates brain growth. It's kind of like creating new pathways around the damaged part. So I had a midbrain. Midbrain damage is about emotion. So my emotions were really closed down. My ability to connect with people was not very good. And um, so after eight weeks of crawling and creeping around on the floor, I think I spent like 40 minutes a day just like with knee pads doing these exercises. I was pretty, I was pretty devoted to it, pretty dedicated. Uh, really my whole life changed. All of a sudden, I, my brain was working differently. And I almost felt like um, it was more than that. It felt like as soon as my brain was working, a lot of um, spiritual block just fell away. It's kind of like I'd been living in a shell, an isolating shell. Like I was in a bubble of my own beliefs. And they were not bad beliefs, but they were very protective and limited. And then I was suddenly, like that bubble burst, and I was suddenly uh, inundated by all of this phenomena that I had never had. I was seeing visions, I was hearing voices, I was getting a lot of energy, I was getting a lot of downloads of information, none of which was familiar to me in any way. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, that was a really big, big step. It was kind of like stepping out of a limiting mm-hmm. system and into this sort of it suddenly opened all my clarity. It, it was a Kundalini opening. It was, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I was in a place where I could, um, I got overwhelmed really quickly mm. and I, I had a breakdown. I immediately had a, a breakdown. I quit my job <laughs> and I started going around looking for spiritual community. I was, I went mm-hmm. to Esalen where they do uh, gestalt therapy. Oh, yeah. But working there as a, I think they, they have a, a, it's kind of a fun place to work for a month or something. I went there. Then I went to um, Findhorn. Uh, I kind of traveled around Nepal and India and Tibet. And then when I came back, I was doing Buddhist studies because Tibet is such an interesting place. And I knew nothing about Buddhism. Well, I knew very little about Buddhism. I mean, I had mm-hmm. taken, I'd read some books on theosophy, right? That yeah. were Buddhist books, but I didn't really understand the whole 
thing that um, in Tibet, people are very grounded. There's the, the solidness. And that really impressed me. So when I came back I studying Tibetan Buddhism, I did some work like the Dalai Lama was teaching these mass courses with thousands of people. So I took at least one or two, two at least two of those courses. And um, then I did some tantric work at Vajrapani in Santa Cruz area. Mm-hmm. And uh, then finally I got to Vipassana. I was still pretty unbalanced mentally. I was really like still unstable. This was several years later, you know, from that awakening, but mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't even that long. I can't remember the exact dates. Like it was, this was sort of like 90 91 to 95, something like that, that whole little period in there where I was changing my life pretty dramatically, traveling, and then coming back and doing all this Buddhist work. And I went to, started doing Vipassana workshops, and that really did stabilize my mind. I have to give them a lot of credit for that practice. It's very purifying, kind of clears out all the confusion and the mess, right? Mm-hmm. No more flailing, just kind of be there with that information. So I learned a lot and I really value that sort of the teaching of equanimity serves me today. It really does. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty intensive five years of my life. Yeah. Um, I have a quick question. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you chatted, talked about Fintorn. It's Fintorn. Can you explain what that is? Oh yeah. It's a spiritual community and when I was young and growing up, I had this book called The Magic of Fintorn. It was just like a little book, picture book, right? And wow. it was how they were working with the devas. Mm. And they had created the spiritual community in northern Scotland. It's on the North Sea. And um, the guy who, the elderly theosophic uh, society librarian uh, was also really into he knew peter caddy who had visited the theosophic library and he was talking about him and so he kind of planted that so i had the little books when i was a kid that had said they grew giant cabbages and sand <laughs> or whatever that was worth it, it it was interesting enough to me that i remembered it and then um i he talked to peter to uh, this glenn his name is glenn and he kind of kind of planted the idea that it might be a cool place to go. So when I had my breakdown, I said, well, I'm going to find spiritual community somewhere. I'm going to go there. So I took off. I spent, a, I spent, ended up spending six months there just doing their programs. Like they have a, a living in community program. They have an Easter week program. And I just stayed as long as I could uh, until I finished all my programs, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fintorn is a, is a, spiritual community that has, uh, you know, it's kind of new age, kind of open to lots of different types of um, spirituality. There's a lot of British or um, uh, Wiccan or uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, Druid kind of stuff that comes through there. There was some um, uh, Sufis there who did Sufi. So it was kind of a bunch of different, it wasn't one religion or one kind of cult belief. It was sort of a space where people could explore and be open to different kinds of spiritual practices. So that was a kind of a cool thing. I called it a spiritual cacophony at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff happening in one place. And they were growing vegetables with the help of Davis. <laughs> wow. 
So with all of this, were there any um, either role models or uh, human guides that you had uh, or that you looked up to, maybe either that you knew personally or that you just kind of like followed a lot, sort of their path and wanted to emulate it? Yeah, mm, I always had a problem with that, you know, the idea of role models. And as I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about my father, because even though I never thought of him really as a role model, but that is the foundation, right? His belief system is the foundation, pretty broad. It was a pretty open-minded one. You know, he was a, he was a, I don't know, the story about him was that he he, as, as a conscientious objector, when he was 18 or something, he helped. He went to prison for being a conscientious objector, crossing wow. the border from Mexico into Texas. Ended up in a Pennsylvania prison, and uh, they started. They there were other conscientious objectors there, so people who were not really prison types. Mm. He segregated the prison. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. That was a really interesting legacy. Yeah. Yeah. So got some interesting influence there. Totally. My mother was, you know, mostly about doing things. She wasn't a very big talker, but she would, we were always doing something creative. We were sewing, we were making things, we were, you know, decorating, whatever it was. You know, it wasn't always high end art idea, but it was always a part of our lives doing something creative. Well, my dad was really creative. Some other influences, sorry, there were a couple of, I mean, people I read, I, did, I was influenced by Pema Chodron and by Carolyn Mace back in the 80s and 90s when that was really, you know, that book on, what is it, Anatomy of the Spirit is a pretty valuable, really interesting way to look at spiritual development. So I got a lot out of that book, mostly reading, I think. I, I read a book called um, Ancient Futures, Learning from Ladakh, too, that was very interesting kind of uh, about how culture changes over time. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a really interesting book. It was about um, Ladakh is, of course, the Himalayan side of India. Mm-hmm. And it was about how when they opened Ladakh to Western culture and what happened to the people there and how their um, values changed because when tourism came mm-hmm. into it. It's a really interesting book. And it has sort of a Buddhist uh, philosophy underpinning it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we can move to your sort of your current incarnation about being a teacher at Psychic Awakenings, if you want to talk about why you decided to become a teacher and uh, kind of go from there. Yeah, well, when I came to Seattle, I, I was, I somehow ended up in this program, uh, Psychic Tools 101, <laughs> the class I teach now. And it was so helpful and grounding and it really integrated everything that I had learned, kind of like everything fell together. And I suddenly felt more empowered, like, oh, there's energy and you can work with it. And here are some ways. It's amazing how I could have gone through almost 20 years of this spiritual experience and not have had anybody say, well, you can do this, or this is one way to look at it and try it. And, you know, the actual uh, hands-on tools were so valuable to me. And I feel like when I was looking back in the early 90s, when I was looking for a spiritual community, I was thinking there should be a place where people can learn something, you know. And I feel like, uh, in a way, this is the result of that wish. You know, it's like, oh, I can help people go through 
spiritual awakening without all the foundering and the challenges. We still have our challenges, but if you have a few tools, it mm -hmm. feels much more empowering and possible to, you know, do something as opposed to just being a victim of whatever this is and not understanding very much what to do. It's more than a philosophy, right? Because philosophy doesn't like the pasana also is not really a philosophy. It's a way of being, of working with the energy. It's looking, it's just looking profoundly at yourself. So that was my first tool and it really did rebalance my brain. And then I came back up here in Seattle and I started taking those classes and I got all excited because I was suddenly able to function again in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just having a way to do something. There's a really big difference between a philosophy and a tool. <laughs> That's what yeah. I made. Anyway, it was so valuable and I'm so grateful to be able to be here teaching these tools. I learned so much from my students. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of goes into my next question about maybe if, a favorite story that you want to share about being a psychic school teacher? I'm sure you have several, but. Yeah, I know that's, um, boy, there's, okay. Um, some of my experience, like being a school teacher, maybe, I mean, that's really about seeing people grow and kind of take hold of their lives and go, oh, this actually does something. This actually works. But when I'm doing readings, that's when I really get some interesting insight. And my favorites are, uh, when I'm working with someone and their guides come in and start teaching me through the reading. And I'm like, oh, that's a really ways that I wouldn't have thought. And, you know, my, my one reading I had in particular, I was, I could see that this man had been in all of these wars, wars that I had heard of in history books. Like he'd been in lots of war. He was a warrior. And I was like, wow, how, why would someone do that? <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, who would be? And his guys just like started showing me how he went into these uh, deep, uh, challenging and, you know, not necessarily easy situations, right? Passionate victory and failure and loss and all of the things that war has, all the challenges. And then what they showed me is at the end of the lifetime, he would leave it all behind. He would just say, uh, you know, there would be, he would forgive all of his enemies and he would make up. And it was kind of like he would walk away with no karma. Wow. That's an interesting picture that you don't have to have. You don't have to drag your past around with you for lifetime after lifetime. You can just let it go. Hmm. And that's a, that's a very big lesson. You know, for all of us, because there is this, you know, thought form or belief on earth that we have to, we're, we're pun well, there's the punishment type people or the, we have to make up for our sins or there's the, mm -hmm. we have to balance out our acts, which might be true, but it's not how we do it. We have a lot of choice in. And if we're right. stuck in a belief system that says there's punishment or suffering involved, then we get caught up in that. But if you're looking at this guy and, you're going, well, maybe you can just clear the, you know, walk away um, and release all anger and, you know, all difficult pain, you know, not carry uh, negative feelings and beliefs with you at the end of a lifetime, not get caught up in that, that you're, there's a kind of freedom in that. Mm -hmm. It makes life more of an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. 
making choices. Yeah. I, and in a way it's like being fully committed to your life too. It's like he went in fully committed to this, these battles, right. right. And this, this, you know, great camaraderie and challenge of being a soldier. And then he would walk away and um, it was just like release at the end of it. I don't know, to me, that was a really profound moment of seeing. Mm-hmm. The other interesting um, people I meet in psychic school are sometimes these star seeds that come into the world and they have difficulty grounding and they're they're young, right? They're in their twenties, or and they it's not like, for instance, that the other person, the soldier, had been he's he was a star seed, but he'd been here for decades, for hundreds of lifetimes. But these new people who are coming in, the newbies, they come to Earth and they can't ground because it doesn't feel good. And they um, sometimes, or they don't have that sort of binary sexuality, like it's not in their history. So they don't really know what to do with it. And they're kind of struggling, you know, with how do I fit myself into this, uh, you know, extremely limited belief system? I kind of see it as... um, they they need to get their land legs, their earth legs under them. <laughs> and it's really interesting to see. Um, I think that what I learned from that is that we carry so much history with us. All of our past experiences are kind of programming us. It's like how we are comfortable in the world is what we've seen, known, and believed. And that systems, the systems that we've lived through are kind of a part of our reality. And so for the for us, it makes sense in a way. Might not, not always make great sense, but it, it's the familiar. And but for these star seeds, it's like this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Right. <laughs> I don't know my who these relatives are that brought me to the world. I've never had any history with them. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder why, you know. And then, and yeah, they, you know, it feels like. Um, it feels like when they do find their grounding, they're going to have really shift the planet because a lot of them are very psychic, very aware. Mm-hmm. They have, I had one student and she's like, oh, you know, I can, I, if somebody tells me when they were born and what year, I can see the, I can see the angles and how the stars work with them. Just like, it's like a visual picture for her of how everything works. I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting astrological gift. Yeah. My mind cannot even start to. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I can't yeah. even work out my own chart. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and I can see that this is this and that. And she's just like, that's, she has this sort of profound understanding of the stars and the energies and how they work, but she can't ground herself or anything. Oh. Kind of like, how do you get, once you get grounded and in your body, then you have all this knowledge to share. So I can't wait till they grow up. Yeah. Because we'll find it. You know, it's exciting. Now I have, this is a strange question and I, I, I probably worded it very poorly, but let's see if I can ask it. Have you ever sensed someone like in your, just kind of walking around your everyday life and you're like, Ooh, this person could benefit. Yeah. <laughs> well, in my math sessions that comes up. Because I feel like empaths, anyone who's struggling with the energy is going to benefit from just a few things. Grounding, learning to be centered, kind of owning their energy and knowing that they can let go of other people's energy. 
And yeah, I run into that all the time. And sometimes that is the healing. Sometimes the healing is that you can do it, that you don't, it's not just something happening to you. That kind of goes into my next question somewhat. So Seattle, we we're both in Seattle. I took psychic, you know, I went to psychic awakenings, but Seattle is considered like a tech city, like one of the biggest tech cities in the world. Have you ever had, I'm sure you have, but have you ever had any left-brained analytic students in your psychic class? And what was your experience with that? Everybody is so unique, you know? Um, Yeah, I've had a few. Some people who said they couldn't see pictures or they couldn't see inside their body or um, some, mostly it comes out as uh, in the tech world, there's a lot of masculine energy. There's Mm. a very strong focus limited you know keep your keep your focus on this project and so it's usually women who are struggling they might be really good at tech but they're I think they struggle with the the balance and you know reclaiming their expansive female energy Mm -hmm. I was just having a talk with someone today and it was such an interesting comment you made is like will men have gray matter you know and then I said well what do women have if they he, he said he asked that actually what do women have that's not gray matter like we all like men have bigger brains but uh women have more what he called white matter which is the connective tissue and that is so clear clear when you think of women make connections like mm-hmm. we connect people we connect ideas we open our we're open to the breadth the big picture sometimes hmm. yeah so I thought that was really interesting. Oh, there's gray matter and white matter in the brain. I never thought about that until I today. Yeah, I learned a thing. That's great. So how would you say, and it, we kind of already went over this. I know you've had, at Psychic Awakenings, you've had people that are going through spiritually transformative experiences. So how would you help somebody who's going through that? I'm sure with the tools, but you, you know. Yeah, well, most of them learn how to heal themselves. They learn how to let go of those old pictures. They learn actual things that help them to be more present and aware in their space. So that is the number one thing. But we do feelings. We do, um, like, if you are having a disturbance in class and you ask, or I think to, to say something, if I notice, which I should be doing maybe more, but um, we can offer healings. We have, you know, some skills to help people to move through that. And of course, I'm always asking questions or or answering questions. Uh, People, um, some classes more so than others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But I feel like, you know, our philosophy of healing is that people heal themselves. When we have the right information, we have a, a little bit of skill, then we feel empowered and we can, you know, tap into some resources that we didn't think we had. It's funny how you have to know you have it in order to tap into it. Mm -hmm. Right. There's lots of people out there that, you know, make great progress from reading that book or this thing, but some of us need like hands-on. This is how you do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm one of those people. (laughs) I like, I like that. Um, uh, that kind of, oh, there's a tool I can use for this. Because mm-hmm. the tools that we teach are just examples. You can start making up your own tools. They're how metaphor works with the spiritual language. Right. Going that. Oh, a picture, you know, an idea created through a picture that works for your body 
is going to help you transform your life. And sometimes there's a little leap of faith there for a minute until you see that it really works. That's mm-hmm. right. Like grounding. Like yeah. We use kind of pictures on how to ground. And then people start noticing that it really does feel different when you use a tree image and we use a waterfall and we use a light and suddenly we're reading energy. Yeah. Um, how would you describe or how would you explain pictures? I mean, I know what pictures are, but how would you explain that to somebody? Our energy, it's a vibration mm. that we hold in our bodies. Like we, we kind of tuck things away in our bodies. Um, their memories are based on memories. They're based on beliefs. We usually pick them up like this foundation beliefs when we're very small very I'm surprised I'm still finding pictures that were part of my upbringing as a child or even an infant my most recent one was that my mother quit teaching when I was born and for her she loved she was a school teacher and she really loved it and um and she lost her income and there was a profound sense of sadness and loss uh, because she no longer she no longer had that freedom she had been teaching before she got married and then she suddenly after her second child she quit and I feel like there was a kind of a profound so I felt I suddenly realized that I had kind of taken that into my body that um it, when you leave a job there like you walk away from something good hmm. like when, and I it's kind of weird how our and because it was a sad thing, it's kind of odd how uh, she kind of, so I kind of took on that energy of leaving work or leaving money behind and not, and I realized in my life, I've kind of done that in different jobs. Like, oh, I walked away from a job for no real reason or for some idea that wasn't really very um, well thought out or, um, and it wasn't necessarily always the best decision. I walked away from a lot of money in my life. And I'm like, oh, where did that come from? I, and then I kind of rooted back there. And somehow in my infant mind, I had picked up that belief that you walk away from money. <laughs> so funny. And it's, isn't it interesting how s- that event wasn't even my life, right? Mm-hmm. And yet I had been living out that vibration somehow. So pictures are a vibration that we carry, a belief that we carry that had, and when, when it has seniority over us, like that one did. And it's, and you know, I picked that up in the womb probably to some degree, Yeah. you know, as an infant. And I didn't know where it came from. I didn't really even see it until I started doing these clearings uh, really, I saw that in a map session, which I was doing called the 11 money saboteurs. And I'm like, where did that come from? And why did I take that on? Such a, And how now, you know, that I'm, I've been through most of my work life already, mm-hmm. I, I suddenly see this pattern and how it played out. So when we have a picture, it creates uh, things that we do without kind of thinking about them in a way or we think of them through and they still come out the way that they that this picture says they should it's kind of like a um a belief and there are worse ones than that you know some very challenging energy from our parents not all parents are in the right place when they have children 
Yeah. Isn't it funny how we could pick up one little thing? My mother was a very happy person and my parents were not starving or having a lot of trouble. It was just that she had that profound experience of sadness for over that loss. Mm-hmm. Probably at the same time she was having postpartum. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Wow. Oh, yeah. Thanks for explaining pictures. So I know I took one of your workshop, your angel workshop. And I think you do it around the holidays. Usually um, around beginning of December, I try to do that workshop because angels and Christmas seem to go together. To yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. With us. So why did you want to even start working with angels or what, you know, what are... <laughs> I feel like I came to angels unexpectedly. I didn't really like my history wasn't really around angels. The only angels we ever had were on the Christmas tree or at Christmas time, never any other time. Um, but um they kept knocking at my door. You know, I, I would go to a bookstore and an angel book would fall off. And I'm like, well, I don't want to read this. But I had, I somehow did. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until later that I realized that I needed that help. Like angel guides are high vibration. They're not going to mislead you. All you have to do is ask for what you want. And they're very much the higher vibration people. And, you know, I started working with them more while I was in the CAP program, because another person, when we were doing one of those reading exchanges, mm-hmm. uh, the partner that I had said, oh, I want to work with Hannah L. Can you take a look at what that is and, and how that would work out? Because he was an acupuncturist. And, and I said, okay. So I looked at Hannah L. And, found, and she said, well, I won't work with him because he's doing one-on-one practice, healing practice with people. He's a healer. But she said, uh, I'm more like um, earth, like how it, are things working out on earth? If there's some big problems or some uh, belief system that's tra- changing, that's my realm. And so I'd be happy to work with you. <laughs> so anyway, I worked with Hanel for quite a while. And that was a very interesting uh, shift for me. I, I had to take it seriously in a way. It's like, oh, if this archangel wants to work with me, then I maybe need to look at it more profoundly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are really reliable guides. Yeah. You know, it, it, sometimes, you know, in the non-physical world, there's people of all different levels. People just like us mm-hmm. can be floating on there and want to be your guide. And I don't think that's necessarily going to work out. They may have a different perspective from the non-physical, right. but it doesn't necessarily mean they have, um, the insight or the you know high level of information that you specifically want mm-hmm. for you. So I always ask for exceptional guidance, and angels are good. Yeah, I agree. We're kind of shifting a little bit. I, you know, I've seen your. I haven't seen them in person. I hope to someday. You create these uh, luminary sculptures. If you want to talk about that, they're beautiful. Quite beautiful. Quite. They kind of look angelic. We're going to tie it back to what we just talked about. Um, There's a nice picture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that I have learned from angels is that um, their way of looking at humanity and our angels are about love and they're here guiding us how to grow into our ability to love in a bigger way. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that we bring to the world that not, it's not necessarily brought by any other life form. It's like something that sets us apart, according to angels. The luminaries are, um, you know, I started making luminaries. I, I, I was involved with the Fremont Arts Council 
um, I started making giant things and street art and I learned luminaries from a, a woman who was teaching that there. And um, they are, gosh, I create them with volunteers. Um, sometimes the large puppets are created in, in group settings. So it's sort of like a social outlet for me, not the sole artists in their studio, which, you know, art can often be very isolating, but I've learned how to work with other people by through the, the, the luminaries. And um, I think that uh, people really love them. And that kind of encourages me to make more. I have, I have some dedicated, I've ha had over the years, all these different dedicated puppeteers and people who really love them and help me out in very generous ways. So I'm very grateful for, for that kind of, it's kind of like connects me to humanity in a way that other things don't seem to. Hmm. Um, and the, the other thing that's been really interesting is working with the puppets and doing the psychic work is I've noticed how, as I've cleared the pictures, as I've opened myself up, as I've learned to grow into creating energetically, all of these projects flow more easily. And, and I try, it's all about trusting the process. Now it's kind of like, Oh, I can just, intend what I want. I, I always work from a vision. Like I get a picture of what I want to create and I, and it can change over time, but it's almost always starts with a vision of some kind. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. Then learning how to trust the process and have people showing up and everything falling into place with a little bit of work. Yeah. It's been a lesson in trust. That's yes, for sure. Being on a project for a, uh, Arts Aglow and Luminata. Mm. Oh, yeah. Illuminata is the thing here in Seattle on the lake. Yeah, September 23rd. Mm -hmm. uh, on the fall equinox or right around it every year. Oh, yeah. I think it is the equinox. And, um, yeah, it's coming up on the 23rd. Cool. Arts Aglow is on the 9th, September 9th. Might have to check those out. Yeah, definitely. So we can talk about, we're kind of uh, nearing the end of our chat, but I know you also do something called the map method. So if you want to explain what that is and then how you use it to assist your client. There's a blank there. <laughs> but a map method is, a, it's a very interesting process. I learned a lot about psychology. I'm not a therapist, but I learned a lot about how people, um, whole trauma and beliefs and how to uh, map is a, a, a way to help people release those beliefs. All of those beliefs create a vibration. That vibration attracts certain things to us or not to us. It's really quite interesting how we are energetically asking for what we're getting. And if it's a pattern that we don't like, if it's painful, if it came out of a trauma, like we created that pattern of trauma, well, it can be very, um, make us very unhappy and really um, be a limit to, you know, what we can achieve in life. So what MAP does is it works with the higher self, the, what we call the superconscious. So we connect with the superconscious and the superconscious is this part of our um, psyche, our spiritual being, like our higher self that is above the trauma. And it's running the programs. It's helping us to fulfill the vibrational beliefs that we have, if you want to put it that way. So if we have a vibration that we don't like, our superconscious, our being is helping us to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. We're in a way, ask, like if we're carrying a vibration, we're asking for it. So what MAP does is we 
we, we start with talking about what it is that we're trying to clear, what the problems are, what the pain, where the pain is. And then the super con- we use commands to the superconscious, some very simple commands. And um, the superconscious can see what is creating that problem. And systematically, we go through and we kind of release all the things that are creating it. Um, and because the superconscious sees it, we don't have to mess around with what was your childhood problem. We might go to a place where you were a child and look at it and tune in to what was happening there so we can remember it, but we don't have to have a long discussion about it. We just go in, we kind of look at what was going on. Like for instance, that thing with my mother, well, I didn't even have conscious awareness of it until I was in a map session and, um, they were saying, look at what is the, what is the belief that you're living on? And it was kind of a little grueling, you know, she kept asking over and over, but it was a very powerful insight in a way, because once we see it, then we can release it. The superconscious goes, oh, that's a belief you don't want. Let's get rid of it. And then what it does is it, it mines our awareness for the good things, for the memories that are positive and help us grow in the way that we want to. And it softens the painful trauma memory. So we have everything still, but the, the balance is shifted so that we're operating off of the better memories. We kind of release the pain of it and we understand the whole picture and we reassess and reevaluate it. And then we move forward and it happens very quickly in that because the subconscious knows where it is. I don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. You will have uh, insights as we go along, right? Mm-hmm. You never know where map is, where the superconscious is going to take you. That's true. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, client story that you you would like to share about um, the map method? People changing. Well, you know, I have a kind of a curious childhood story, and it comes up sometimes in uh, sessions too. Um, so I have this client who, she's a wonderful person, and I really admire her strength. But when she was a, she grew up in Haiti or Jamaica, some, and her mother was a single parent and had to work. And so when she was two years old, her mother had a second baby, and she left her behind to take care of her infant baby. So at two years old, who could take care of a baby? Like yeah. nobody, we're all, like yeah. that just like it will work right yeah so what happened was that she called like in desperation sometimes as children we call out for help and what happened was this davic energy this um, elemental came along and started helping her and guiding her as a you know a two-year-old and um, when i was and and in a trauma situation it was helpful like they survived she and her sister both survived childhood and um grew up to tell the story which how many of us would have survived taking care of an infant at yeah two? you know i call her my miracle child right <laughs> for that but um so what, the day that energy was still there it was still trying to help her and she was all grown up and trying to run a business and you know and it was just like in conflict because it just it's not really good to have elementals or any other being attached to us but mm-hmm. when she was young it kind of guided her into being you know being able to survive now it was a really big problem right so 
what we did was we released it and then she started to feel more empowered and able to create her business. But before that, I mean, that's kind of like um, an extreme. I've seen that too. One other time uh, in a, a child who was like, I don't know, maybe they were in the, um, the, the death camps and the Holocaust or something. They asked for help from a David help. They I just asked for help. And yeah. who came I don't know. Maybe Davis have a special relationship with children. Sounds like it. It might be, but anyway, it's not good to be connected in that way. Right. And, yeah. And then they might even like that belief system or that, whatever that agreement is, because there's some agreement that's made even in a desperate request. Sometimes we're making a somewhat unconscious agreement that you will accept help from this person as well or be. Mm. Well. And so we have to clear those contracts and say, oh, thank you very much, but we don't need that anymore. Right. What we're doing, but just seeing it is the the key. Oh, here's that David in your space. What do you, what is that? You know, a really good example of that is if you've ever seen Howl's Moving Castle, the um, Miyazaki. Yeah. Yeah. Calcifer, the the heart thing, that's a star. that, That would be like a David entity. That would be the experience a davic entity attached to you oh wow it's keeping the heart flame it needs fire in the heart right it's like yeah it's thing i need this i need this i need this and and yet it's not healthy to have a the star being in your body and right. to me that i kind of had that insight at some points like oh that's what that that picture is a a, a davic uh, attachment mm-hmm they're never healthy in the, in the long run. Right. I mean, Maybe. You can have relationships with them, but yeah. you don't <laughs> want them like in your space all the time, kind of guiding you really yeah. or no. to an extent. Yeah. Right. Not even, we don't even really want the angels in our space all the yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> they have too much of a high level view. They don't understand. Like we got to pay bills and take showers and, you know, <laughs> They don't get that part <laughs> where they have their own attitudes and beliefs that they're trying to instill in you and they don't always fit in every situation. Yeah. But yeah, we, I mean, that's why we teach that you need to be owning your own space. You mm-hmm. are, and you're in control of it. And if there's some contract or agreement that's, that's, you know, betraying that trust that right. you be senior and, and have seniority over other beings, then you're going to be in trouble, whether it's a ghost of your ancestor or what. It's right. still well, cool. Well, wow. That was a lot, Sarah. Thank you for sharing <laughs> so many interesting stories. Um, oh. So as we're kind of wrapping up, do you have either a mantra, a motto or words of wisdom that you find helpful that you'd like to share? Oh gosh. Well, you know, the one thing that I came to mind uh, is, um, I'll always keep, you know, keep looking. Like if you don't have healing, if you don't know what, if you can't find what you need, don't give up. Just keep, mm-hmm. keep your open mind to that or keep your focus on what you really need. It's really like setting the vision as clearly as you can of what you want. Right. And not giving up. Right. It's like, oh, we, I mean, really setting clear visions. I don't know if that's a motto. It's like, um, always be aware that some things change and something will come your way if you keep your mind open to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not really a motto, but it's close well, I can get. 
I mean, it's like a good thing to keep in mind, like clear, like keep clear vision and then keep your mind open for the, the solve or whatever, or the solution or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know, I kind of like, don't give up, but yeah, it's a very good model. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of times you're, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I just want to like, nah, not today. <laughs> yeah, we are, you know, that as we grow and change, as the world grows and changes, yeah. solutions show up for us, solutions show up. And if we're open to them, then we'll actually find them. Thank you, Sarah. Okay. So what contact information that you would like to share if people want to find you and see what, well, what's going on? Yeah, I have a website um, and it's kind of this messy combination of map, psychic and art because I don't have that kind of boundaries. <laughs> boundaries <laughs> for external things, but my internal life is very much all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so or maybe it was too much trouble to have three separate websites. So I have one website, it's Love It Arts. That's L-O-V-E-T-T-A-R-T-S dot com. And there's map coaching information there. There's psychic information. There are links to uh, finding me. Um, there's also occasionally, somewhere there's a link to classes at Psychic Awakenings. That might be harder to find. So Psychic Awakenings is another place to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for, for classes. Yeah, and that's uh, psychicawakenings.com, right? Psychicawakeningsseattle.com. Oh, I forgot the Seattle part. <laughs> yeah. You might find it either way. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. Um, thank you so much for your time and sharing all your wonderful stories. And I always enjoyed you as a teacher. And yeah, thank you so much. You're so welcome. I'd like, like to see you stepping into this bigger picture of you. That was an interview with Sarah Lovett, where we discussed her spiritual path, her role as a psychic school teacher, and her work assisting people energetically address their past traumas. Please see the show notes on how to contact Sarah and learn about all the amazing ways she assists people on their healing journey. To learn more about the Casual Temple podcast, please visit our website, casualtemple.com where you can listen to past episodes and learn more about me and my psychic reading, energy healing, and spiritual guidance services at Celestial Ring Guidance. There's a Casual Temple YouTube channel, so please like, share, and subscribe, and click the notification bell. New episodes will be released every Wednesday. Please be sure to leave a review and share this episode with the people in your life who enjoy this content. And thank you so much for listening.